Good morning. I'm Claudia Shambaugh, your host, welcoming you to the January 11th, 2022 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, my guests are the local enterprising bibliophiles, Sarah Rafael Garcia and Andrew Tonkovich, bringing virtual and physical opportunities for listeners and readers consideration. Those opportunities include Libro Mobile Arts Cooperative in Santa Ana and soon-to-be-launched Citric Acid and Orange County, California, online literary quarterly of imagination and reimagination. We'll be right back, folks. Thank you, everybody, for staying tuned. This is a show that I've just savored looking forward to doing. My guests are two people who love words, stories, chisme, we'll get to that later, publications, publishing, and their towns here in Orange County. And they are Sarah Rafael Garcia and Andrew Tonkovich. Let me first introduce Sarah. She is a local artist, educator, curator, author, performance ethnographer, and central to today's interview, the founder and operator of the bookstore Libro Mobil, formerly a pushcart pop-up and now a new open store, this enterprise of which is backed up by a crew of local rock stars. Sarah's penned Las Niñas and Santanas, Santanas, I'm going to hopefully not slaughter too much, fairy tales. She's co-editor of Pariahs and a speculative fiction for dreamers. She founded Barrio Writers and also continues as leader in the Wild Women Writer and Creer Studio. She uh, completed, I don't know what, um, you, before your, uh, your undergraduate work, Sarah, I didn't get that looking around, sniffing around, and she did complete her master's in fine arts at Texas State University. My other guest, Andrew Tonkovich, is a retired lecturer in the UCI English department and served as president of the union, which posted an impressive victory for librarians and lectures this last fall. He's edited the West Coast Literary Journal, Santa Monica Review, and was a feature writer for the Orange County Weekly, OC Registrar. He hosts Bibliocracy on KPFK, 90.7 FM, Southern California, and around all over the place. He last appeared on the show with his project edited along with his wife, Lisa Alvarez, Orange County, a literary field guide. His fiction, nonfiction reviews have appeared widely, including the LA Times, Los Angeles Review of Books, Faultline, Ecotone, Zizivia, I don't know what that is, Best American Non-Required Reading. He's the author of two fiction collections, The Dairy of Anne Frank, and more wish fulfillment in the noughties, N-O-U-G-H-T-I, that is to say the aughts, and Keeping Tahoe Blue and Other Provocations. Andrews published short stories, essays, and reviews in all these forms of which serve as templates for his soon-to-be-launched quarterly citric acid. Andrew comes to us today from his Mojeska Lair and Sarah from Buena Park. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Sarah, and welcome back, Andrew Tonkovich. Good morning. Thanks so much, Claudia. We really appreciate the opportunity. And um, now that you've introduced us, so terrifically, um, I, I think the questions and answers will be quite easy. Really, really, really appreciate the flattering intro. Okay, well, this is what a proper host, and you can hear the FM radio voice coming out, Andrew, and you can distinguish between Sarah easily. We don't need to keep reminding everybody with whom we're speaking. So, And thanks for that, though, Andrew, that nod. So 
Congratulations, Sarah, on your opening. But we before we go into the opening, which is a really big piece of this interview, I just want to know, how did you two know each other? When did you start bumping into each other and often? I think, I mean, to, I can go way back and say that I, uh, Lisa Alvarez, Andrew's partner, was my very first Mexican-American teacher at community college at IBC. Wow. Yeah, and so we start. I think I met Andrew at the L.A. Festival of Books when I bumped into Lisa there. Man, I have to say it was like back in 2007, and then saw them soon after at many literary events. <laughs> well, I just want to say that I missed that L.A. Times Book Festival so much, and I'm sure those are many of those kinds of things that you two have both been missing in a pandemic. And I, I mean, I have, I just have fallen very hard for those opportunities that have taken place at the, the LA Book Festival. So, um, and that's where I've met Andrew. He's, he's held the fort down with the Santa Monica Review there. And Andrew, I mean, that's how you met or did you, uh, is there another thing, anything else you'd add to that? Well, anybody in the know who's uh, appreciated her work and activism at the grassroots kind of cultural work level, uh, anybody who's everybody knows who Sarah is. So I'll just say that her incredible uh, literary destination there next to the Yost Theater in downtown Santa Ana has just been a go-to place. And to your earlier point, Claudia, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the L.A. Times Festival of Books as well as Sarah, because we all are hurting a little bit from that particular angle of the shutdown. And I'll, I'll point out that regardless of if they're commercial or institutional or grassroots, the opportunities for people to see each other, listen, to watch performances by literary and other artists. It's been hard to replicate through Zoom. We certainly struggled. Sarah's been magnificent at it by live streaming events. I've heard that the festival books at the campus of USC will be back in person. But of course, with the new strain in the last few weeks, who knows? But we certainly embrace the struggle, and that's part of the ethos behind I know Sarah's work and my own efforts with citric acid. Okay. So, and we were all getting used to not getting used to, or we're getting used to changing everything all the time, but I, I'm, I'm going to hold out hope that uh, that this it's an endemic situation we can be, but I, I, I so long to be there too. So let's get to the essence here, the congratulating part. Sarah, on your opening last Friday, January 7th, talk about what you're doing mission is at Libramobile. Yeah, so there's been a lot of changes. And like you said, I start, we started as a push cart as a response to our only bookstore closing, which was Libre Martinez. And when I moved back in 2016, that's the first thing I noticed was missing as well as the carousel in downtown Santa Ana. So there's obviously been a lot of changes in Santa Ana. So it's, it's, for me, it was very important that books were still accessible because I didn't grow up with a bookstore. I grew up with the, with the local library. In fact, I didn't even know bookstores existed until I started community college. It just was not a privilege we had in my family. Um, and oftentimes, like, when I did receive a book that I owned, it was because it was a birthday gift or a Christmas gift, and it was inscribed by my father. So the whole world of the writing industry and the, you know, the iconic authors really didn't, um, wasn't part of my childhood. And 
And, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so a lot of the writers of color um, that we see now that are now even in some cases, you know, like part of the canon, were not part of everyday language or books on the shelves when I was a kid. So my favorite authors were all white authors because that's all I knew, right? So fast forward to where we're at now, when I thought about a bookstore, I said I definitely wanted a bookstore that had cultural relevance to a local community. I grew up in a Santa Ana that is incredibly diverse. My neighbors were Samoans, Tongans, Cambodians, you know, Korean, Mexican from different regions and black and white. And so it was really important that everyone felt welcomed and seen in the bookstore. There was a lot of politics I can get into why we recently moved and opened, but i rather celebrate the beauty of what happened this weekend than focus on, on the negativity and why we're, how we got there. But I think what I learned over this particular weekend is that when a grassroots organization has the opportunity to grow and has fun, and, and, and some funding, not a lot, right? We just are able to build this whole other world that we deserve to be in. Um, and the opening actually happened on, on Saturday the 8th. We moved everything from the tiny bookstore in downtown Santa Ana in one week's time. Now, mind you, I was prepping for about a month, putting in shelves and stuff like that. But the actual store move happened starting on Tuesday of last week, so literally a week ago. And we just started organizing books throughout the bookstore from Tuesday and building extra shelves because we took the shelves from the old bookstore and put them in our special collections room and getting organized to open the doors on Saturday morning. And one of the goals that I had for this location was that it really represented the community. And how did I do that? Because, you know, how would I do that? knowing that I'm right next to the Bristol Swap Mall, which is one of, like, the uh, last-standing indoor swap meets in, in Santa Ana. And I want to capture that audience, who my parents were when I was growing up. They were the immigrant um, parents, immigrants from, from, diff, you know, from another border, not even this one here in California, from Texas border. And I wanted them to feel welcome, right, and feel like they can't do have access to these books regardless of price, right? And I think that's something that growing up, there was a lot of times I heard like, oh, no, no, we're not going in there because we can't afford it. Or no, that's not for us, right? Because it just, they didn't feel welcomed in some places. And this time it was important that they saw themselves before they even opened the door. And, and I was able um, to collaborate with Jose Lozano, who's a local artist from Fullerton, California, Chicano artist. And Carla Sarate Suarez, who I've worked with many times before, she's actually the, the artist behind Santana's Fairy Tales, and curate some images of all of their work that would welcome the, the community before they even open the door. So it is very much a, a curated bookstore gallery. And I have to say, it was nonstop on Saturday from uh -huh. 10.30 to 6.05 p.m. We had consistent um, local, loyal, and long-term supporters come through all day long, as well as new faces and, and parents grateful for a you know, bilingual bookstore just down the street from the place, you know, or next door, should I say, to the place they shop for their daily things. And it was extraordinary. I have, I have not felt that proud um, oh. and, and pride in, in, like, in culture and language and just being part of the city in a long time. And I think that is something that has is continuous like right even to right now talking about it, I get really emotional because yes it was such a long journey to get to that point but it was mm. always the point to get to 
Well, celebrate that for sure, and we'll do that. We're doing that with you right now, and uh, when we all when we get to hop in there. But it sounds like the arc of your enterprise is going to be either a collaborative piece with your rock star uh, staff or yourself. It'll be a piece in the citric acid later on, sort of the whole piece of so. And that we'll we'll talk about citric acid, how that fits in the chart perfectly, I think. So your clientele, we're just dying to know, like, so who's showing up in over the the pop-ups and the other previous places? And now, I mean, so, I mean, everybody goes to those swap meets. So you're, you're going to pull in all ages, right? Yeah, no, we do. We, we very much cater to all ages as well as, you know, one of our priorities is local authors to definitely create visibility for them and access to their work, um, as well as black, indigenous, people of color, um, authors uh, and, you know, marginalized voices like women and LGBTQ+. Again, these are like unlikely easily found in major bookstores. And, and the idea is that here it's a priority. It's, it's something that we focus on. And as well as prices on the sliding scale, because we don't want anyone to feel they, they have to walk away without a book because of money, right? And we always have free books available. We always have books to give away to children and teens, a Spanish speaker comes in and they're just like, oh, I, um, I'm looking for a particular book. We try to find a book for them. And, and at the same time, if they say, oh, maybe not today, maybe, you know, next week or during, when I get my paycheck. And we just, and most of the time we end up just handing it over. Because it, one of the things that we forget about is now that I'm older and I can afford books and I have a giant collection at home is that, you know, the idea that you, someone cannot afford a book is actually limiting their access to the rest of the world, to education, to to culture, or in some cases, even an escape from daily life, right? And I think, to me, that's extremely important. So we have everything from, like, you know, Natalie Graham, who is our current poet laureate, came in over last, the last week, as well as Mary Camarillo, who's a local author, debut, just came out with a debut book, the, um, uh, and, and she's been a longtime supporter, even before she, her first book came out. And we have Gustavo Ariano and, and his partner, Delilah Snell, that came in. Which I have to say, Delilah is a huge reason why we exist, because our first book cart um, was donated by her. She thought I was going to be gardening, though, with it. Um, she gave me a gardening A-frame cart. And she's like, here, you, you know, she knew I lived in an apartment with no landscape. So she's like, maybe you can, you know, start your garden in this cart. And the first thing I said, is, oh, that's not a gardening cart. That's a book cart. And that's really how oh. I ended up starting um, Libro Moving was out of that gardening cart. So, you know, we have Jesus Cortez that came in from Anaheim, who's an, uh, the first, you know, writer we published through our zine collection. So we've had such a quite broad group come in over the weekend. But on top of that, we do have the parents and the kids peeking in and wondering what this new store is from, that walk over from the Bristol Swap Mall in the food court. And one particular anecdote that I have from the weekend is that I had a woman, and you know, a Spanish speaker who said, are you going to be doing readings in Spanish? And I said, yes, we will. And then she says, are you, going to go, are you going to be doing readings in Spanish for children? And I said, yes, we will, but I'm looking for someone to collaborate with me and, and hopefully a parent so that they can have a presence uh, as part of this bookstore. And right away she says, sign me up. And I think that, you know, knowing that we just met, had a five-minute conversation, and she said, sign me up, I'll do it. Oh, and that's exactly goodness. what our community wants and needs is more um, cultural relevance and, and through literature for their kids, right? Because so often as immigrants, we the first thing that goes is our language. Well, as we're resettling 
our friends from uh, war-torn Afghanistan and other places, there's going to be some Urdu and Dadia and all that come, maybe maybe coming there. So, I'm, I mean, that's, I would love that. Yeah, no, we, we yeah wouldn't that be cool? So, my, yeah, we I, part of my job is to find the right books and for children um, that are translated, and I, I'm always open to find new books and new languages. Well, between your enterprises and some of my uh, my connections and all that, we're, we're going to pull all this off. I believe it. So for those of you who've just joined us here on Ask a Leader, my guests are Sarah Rafael Garcia and Andrew Tonkovich. We heard a little bit from him. We'll hear a little bit more, a lot more later. They're nurturing, existing, and launching new and getting established literary institutions as we speak. And we're live, if, in case people didn't notice that, because sometimes we're not as live as we want to be. So I just loved it how the L.A. Times pilot writer, Namrata Poder, she talked about this enterprise, Sarah, of yours. Is con- it's the most conspicuous, if not the biggest, sort of. <laughs> and that, that was really cool. So uh, you're going to be uh, then opening. You've got an event coming up on the this Saturday. But yeah. let's get but let's put you on the map right now, though. And that the Bristol and McFadden, I've got the short. Well, you talked about the Bristol mall bristol swap mall and that this is for shorthand it's the bristol mcfadden and you're over there just at southwest corner of that major intersection so but i'm sure this the swap malls always give themselves up when you're getting approaching the area so people can find you there so and you're open now you or you're open it from 10 until 6 tuesday through sunday so that's reaching all age groups with those kinds of hours as well yeah yeah for sure and then our event this Saturday is actually at Heritage Museum. Yes. Which it's the first time we're going to have it uh, off-site because we normally have it in downtown in the alley that we were formerly located at. And on top of that, we're working with um, Kilson Street, who is a local company that focuses on audio and visual directing and producing for events. And that's, again, like we are definitely pushing on local collaboration so that we can reinvest in our own community and fight against some of these changes that are taking over some businesses and, and homes, right? And so that has been a long-term goal is, like, how do we reinvest in the local community so that we can continue to have visibility in a place that we call home? On top of that, fortunately, I was also able to get a, a grant from the city of Santa Ana, the Arts and Culture Commission, for this event this year. So that means I do get to pay more people, and that is also extremely important because we can all volunteer, but if you know if we can't pay rent or 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 gas, then there's only so much time we can we well, can give to to any cause. Right? And you're you're acculturating the culture producers and providers that they should be remunerated for what they're doing. I mean that you don't want to get them start out thinking that's always going to be on the house. So that's exactly that's that's performing a lot of roles for for creatives and and all that. So and. I just, on the Hisme, I, I brought that up in the introduction. So I just want to know if there's like, is that a is that a thing, a cultural thing where it sort of gets, Hisme is a way to sort of like move around. Libro Mobile exists. Yeah, well, you know, I have to say that, you know, when Namjata's review came out in the LA Times a few years ago, like we both joke because we do get together and talk to Hisme, ah. right? And it's like, and we say like, it's, in, the, in Mexican culture, cheese is gossip, right? But sometimes that, there's a lot of truth in that gossip, right? And nobody wants to talk about it publicly. Um, and for us, like one of the reasons that we're a hybrid nonprofit, which means like we, we're a business and a nonprofit, is to keep um, 
our political voice open to the public. So we do we can say we support this council member or we don't. We can speak against issues in society that have a political stance. And for me, that's part of the achievement, right, is being in the know of all aspects of society and finding a way to uplift those who are marginalized and minoritized through our local, you know, region, but also nationwide, right? And one of the reasons that that's important is because that's who I am. You know, as, as a child of immigrants, I've seen it all. I've seen my father get arrested because he was driving while brown. I, I've seen my mom being ridiculed because she has an accent, you know, and and those things continue to happen, especially in Santa Ana, which is a city that's 80% Latinx with a large undocumented population that continues to grow every day. And it's, the issues I grew up with are not gone, you know, and I think that's the most, the motivation behind all this, right? Like, how can I reach folks or, or even young folks? Because I, I, my dad died when I was 13 and that changed mm-hmm. my life course. Um, and, and my mom was, you know, a homemaker at the time, so she had no idea how to raise three girls and, and, and at the same time go apply for a job. So these are daily issues our community faces on top of increasing rents, on top of police brutality, on top of people telling them to speak English only. So, yeah, I'm very much um, moving towards reinvesting in the community. And, and one of the things I have learned about the U.S. culture is that it takes money to fight money. And that's why it's important for me to be able to speak about building equity um, through the economy, as well as through cultures, as well as supporting um, artists. And collaboration with our allies. I think, you know, some people assume that I don't like white people, and I start, I laugh, and I said, actually, I have some very amazing allies that have helped me along the way. And I, it's, it's being selective and honoring the reasons why, um, you know, we can coexist. And an example, Andrew's reading at our Literary Arts Festival uh, this Saturday, and and I've gotten to know his work and, you know, um, and his history in Orange County through Lisa Alvarez and, and then now being able to have, you know, conversations with him as well. Well, that is our all-important seg into Andrew's Enterprise at, that was going to be launching quarterly online the middle of this month. So, Andrew, talk about what Citric Acid is up to, the whole title and its mission bringing the known and the new talent to the printed page online. Well, it's kind of great the way Sarah just set up, yep. because the ethos, the goals, the spirit of citric acid uh, parallels and reflects and builds on the work of Sarah and other grassroots activists, community folks who want to booster the, the best of uh, Orange County. And um, I like that she used the word curate because uh, it doesn't mean uh, lack of uh, it means it means making judgments that express that particular ethos so I you know this whole project is about I mean to, to, to Sarah's point about D- Delilah who runs the Alta Baja and her uh, partner Gustavo Ariana this whole project is about I don't know it's about a block long and about 50 miles wide because a lot of it comes out of the work of a close-knit group of uh, folks. And all I've done is just come in with a fair amount of experience as an editor and as a writer and, you know, having done the anthology, which you kindly mentioned about six or seven years ago, all I've come in and tried to do is provide a place where a lot of those folks can 
connection, which it would be wrong for me not to mention, is that a couple of years ago, the Alternative Weekly, the OC Weekly, mm-hmm. got uh, murderized by its uh, corporate overlords. And, you know, that's left a, a kind of a vacuum in the way people communicate about the arts, politics, the literary world, um, small businesses, you know, on and on and on. So I just thought it was a great moment to to try to provide a sort of literary and arts kind of clearinghouse slash journal and a way to both celebrate what we have in Orange County and to kind of work for what's better by modeling some terrific work, by, by modeling some editorial work that um, shows off some of the best. And so I've been here more than 25 years now, and I was able to invite Sarah and a whole bunch of folks that I've met over the years and who I respect to uh, contribute. So we're hoping to go um, actually live this weekend. Um, Right now, my managing editor, Jamie Campbell, is putting together the website. We're trying to make it look beautiful and accessible. It'll be at citricacid.inc, I-N-K, and the inaugural or premiere issue is going to be, I have to say, pretty terrific. Okay. Um, and the final sort of connection is the first issue will feature work from the first ever senior and junior Orange County Poet Laureates whom I met and got to hear read at, where else, Libro Mobile. So Tina Mai and Natalie will have, have generously shared poems. And then I can, I can talk more, Claudia, about the content, contents of the first issue and, and the vision. But yeah, people can look for it this weekend. So, and then the, the mission is also, as you say formally, it's a, encouraging a vigorous collective revisionist history practice promoting various things out there. And so, I mean, and that's really important as we're watching now in the in our current day, we're watching some amazing kind of local manipulation of what we're experiencing that is a that threatens our own public health. So it's it's sort of like that is it's I don't know if vacuum is it. I'm not going to wordsmith you, Andrew. I wouldn't dare do that, but I'm going to try anyway. But a vacuum or a <laughs> void, it's like it's like a vacuum. Something's going to occupy it, but there's a void. It's like it's just empty. It's So it's sort of like you're stepping up and you're saying, you're here and we're here and we aren't alone and we're suffering. We're joyful. We're we're snarky and we're going to validate your snarkiness. I mean, it's, that, it's just like stepping up because there is this kind of infantilizing sort of dishonest kind of narrative coming from local officials. So you're going to be the kind of uh, the the vaccine against that kind of infantilizing. Isn't that what you're going to be doing? Oh, well, I embrace the metaphor, and um, I'm so glad. I mean, uh, Claudia, it sounds like you might be the ideal reader for uh, citric acid. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. It's I'm waiting. exactly I've got right. My... And when you say local, I'm, I'm not going to be shy. When people say curation and being an editor, it make, means you make certain choices. So um, I'm hoping for some long-form journalism and for some unshy and aggressive pushback on the kind of infantilism and uh, reactionary politics that, unfortunately, we see. You know, Orange County is a new 
has a new politics and a better politics in many ways, but unfortunately, there's still a lot left over from the really reactionary, racist, and so problematic public policy decisions that have been made, especially by the Orange County Public Department of Education and the supervisors. Um, the County Board so of Supervisors. I take your point. The moment is 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 perfect for some uh, cultural work that allows people to engage the uh, humane and liberationist uh, perspective. And I have to say, the other beautiful kind of kismet, uh, I, don't, I don't know how all this happened, but I, I think I was kind of smart enough to notice it. So <laughs> Sarah's been stepping up. The politics of Orange County are changing. We've seen even in Orange County, the uh, incredible organizing around with groups like Black Lives Matter. As you mentioned earlier, the rise of successful labor justice politics, which I've been a part of. And it's all, much of it is being documented in a book, which is also the inspiration for the timing. So, I mean, I could have waited until you know june to launch this but three people i admire a whole lot whose names i think have already at least one of them's already come up gustavo ariano my former editor at the oc weekly elaine lewinek and uh twee dong their book actually arrives today oh wow and it's called a people's guide to orange county so their piece which i call a kind of guide to the people's guide explaining why and how they put together this landmark collection. That will be right at the top of the page, and I'm so grateful to them and uh, to the people at UC Press who made this book happen as part of a series which takes apart the falsity and the phony mythology of Orange County and in many ways replaces it with an honest and liberationist and accurate kind of revisionist history. So, uh, again, my goal, honestly, is to kind of just promote what I see as the best of writing that, that's coming out from Orange County or about Orange County. So briefly, because I have so many questions that you're bringing up that I want to follow up on, but briefly, how do readers, how are they going to access this journal, this quarterly? Well, at the moment, it's just going to uh, the website, and what we're doing is building in a kind of support infrastructure. I'm setting us up as a with a nonprofit sponsorship, but um, my imperative was to just go live and see what happens. So we'll have a subscriber newsletter, which tells you when features are added, and at some point, I will indeed welcome cooperative ventures, donations, and support. But, I mean, you know, the problematic thing about COVID and online is we don't have a print edition. The great thing about online is that um, it's there and it's available. And uh, the other, not to bury the lead, but the other really (laughs) terrific element of this is that one of the organizations which inspired me is the Los Angeles Review of Books, which is now a world-class online literary, I don't know what to call it, resource. It's just Platform, I think, is the trendy way to put it. And um, 
that was founded by a guy I admire, Tom Lutz, and is currently managed by Boris Druliak and Irene Yun, and they have agreed to make citric acid one of their featured channels. So that's mm. going to be just huge in, how should I say, broadcasting a new and relevant and creative vision of Orange County well, well beyond anything that we could have done on our own. And I'm just really grateful to them and, and pleased to be part of that, what you called that sort of community of um, good literary public <laughs> health, um, which provides an antidote to a lot of the nonsense that's out there. For those of you who've just tuned in, my guests are Sarah Rafael Garcia and Andrew Tonkovich, nurturing existing and launching new litter institutions. As we speak, Sarah, with Libromobile and Andrew with Citric Acid that will be available at the end of this week. So while we're hearing it's, um, it, there's, it's earnest, it's progressive, it's provocative, so and it's there's there's a competitive piece you're trying to you're competing against the tic-tac kind of folks and the others how are you getting the eyeballs over here please well thanks to you and i think the kind of uh channels and media where um thoughtful people go number one and then number two we uh, again we're going to be part of this network through the Los Angeles uh, Review of Books. And I'm pleased to say that, you know, not to brag, but I've been here for mm-hmm. um, 25 plus years. Sarah and I kind of, not to make too big a point of it, but we, we kind of know everybody and we want to <laughs> meet more people. So it's uh, word of mouth, it's literary solidarity, it's community organizing it's sharing. It's built on an ethos, Claudia, not so much of competition, but of exactly. cooperation. Right, right. I understand that, but I'm saying... So, I've, you know, you're, you're down with that, and that's what I'm counting on. This is a goodwill gesture, and it's also a kind of a modest invitation for people to sign up for uh, a different kind of, uh, you know, community than, than, than often what's out there. Sarah? Yeah, and I was going to say, I think a lot of it has to do with, like, you know, like Andrew said, building this literary solidarity, but also joining hands with, you know, part of the cheese my line, right? Like that we're, yes. yes, we know a lot of people, so we're famous in some ways, but we're also infamous for raising awareness, for fighting back and pushing back, you know, that whether it's the canon or the politics. And I think, you know, aligned with folks like the writers from the, the late OC Weekly, like new voices that are popping up through the Santa Ana Literary Association with J. Martin Strangeweather. So there's huge amounts of folks who have been waiting for an alliance. And I think the fact that we're all joining hands and marching figuratively and in some cases literally together um, is definitely going to help to build the momentum that, you know, of the 60% and the progressives in Orange County that most of the nation don't even know we exist, right? Like, because a lot of people have no idea that Orange County is 60% people of color. And at the same time that we have this progressive movement happening um, across our county. And I'm, I'm thinking while we're talking about all this, um, and for Andrew's publication, some kind of a graphic that, remember everybody, that 
that drawing of Manhattan and then the rest of the world over there? Is that Steinberg? Is that the cartoonist I'm thinking of? Is that the guy? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, so the, the big perspective. The big perspective. Uh, so it's instead. as it were. Right, right, right. So instead, it's an Orange County kind of like, you are here. And it's Orange County and around this this big square of a county is a smaller world all around it just to sort of amplify that. I'm just I'm just trying to feed off of all the creativity and the kind of energy of what the two of you are are doing for all of us. But when I said competition, it's just that there are, you know, increasingly everybody admits to getting shorter tension spans with various other media we've been consuming. So I mean the competition for eyeballs to just like no we know what you're doing but let's let's get this material out there so people put their TikTok accounts down so they can see some more uh, deeper creative intentional breathing going on over at Citric Acid. That's what I'm tr- I'm trying to get that that's the competition I'm talking about is people to pay attention to this kind of literary pursuit. Yeah, understood. And um, the the actual banner for the journal is, uh, you know, it's yes. sardonic and funny and yes, witty. Yes. I hope at the same time, which is um, which is a a, a a a rendering of Sisyphus pushing an orange up a hill. So I think that it's answers. great. Yeah, 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 yeah. It 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 does <laughs> telegraph your intent and your and the and the your grasp of the world. So I think. We're, we talk off and on here and uh, uh, lots of circles about representation. So representation, if it's done mindfully, like what you're doing, you're, it's just happening. It's not like, okay, do we check the boxes? This is just, it's your DNA representation. That's why you exist. Talk about how you do that authentically. I'm happy to let Sarah go first. Yeah, I, you know, I had such a horrible MFA experience where I was something that ticked off the box for them that one of the things that came coming forward, coming back to my community was that everything is curated on my end, whether it's the books on the shelves or the lineup for this weekend's event. You know, we specifically select folks that we vetted through the work that they do or who introduced us. I mean, all our events are start with a what we call a comadre, compadre, comadre introduction. Like, how did we get to this space together? Kind of like what you did today. It was about Andrew and I, right? Like, how, right. We, how we have we met? So it's not just, hey, we're pulling someone because we need airtime with, with a poet, right? And, <laughs> and and for me, that's extremely important. And, and as I, you know, grow older and get to know more people, I learn dif- even more different clues that I need to embrace, right? Like, when I got to meet Namrata for the first time, I really learned a lot of, you know, her immigration um, from India and how, you know, the lack of uh, books that address her narrative in this country, right? And so being able to continue to be open-minded and admit when you don't know something and learning from that. And so one of the things that we do every year for the festival is we plan over a year in advance. My lineup for this year was planned last year. And my lineup for next year is, is has already been planned as well. And wow. it's to continue to offer that reciprocity because it's not just about inviting someone, but it's inviting like-minded folks who do similar work in their community as well as in ours, right? And our lineup does include guest um, artists, but again, like I've heard of them because they've been working in their community in similar ways to create visibility for minoritized voices. And um, so our lineup's always at least 50% local um, and then 
like-minded guests and our vendors too. Um, actually, this year I think I have to say our vendors are probably 80% local, prioritizing Black, Indigenous, people of color, and LGBTQ folks. But again, inclusive. We also have you know our white allies um, in the lineup as well as in vending. And all of it is intentional. All of it. It has to be. If we are creating this priority, we have to have the intention to build equity and visibility for the mission that we're hoping to be able to live by. And and nothing at Libra will be is just added for the sake of adding. And it's about creating um, visibility for the 60% of this community that often go unnoticed and often do not see uh, themselves in the position of power to make decisions. And Andrew, you're going after non-commercial donors. So how t- talk about your underwriting so that your independence remains its vivid, fresh, and a challenging kind of tone. Yeah, well, I'm avoiding institutional or academic sponsorship. I come out of a sort of my own kind of left politics proudly and the DIY punk collective spirit and I admire Sarah's similar um, organizing models where you go to a place to meet other people and to kind of learn from them so that I'm willing to uh, take a modest risk and um, believe that uh, those folks who have signed up for our advisory board and who have shown interest in this project will at some point want to support it, keeping in mind, you know, this is not a commercial venture. You know, I'm not, I don't need a career. I've had a career as an instructor, and I'm having a lot of fun, frankly, uh, making this happen. And the best part is asking folks for something, letting them think a little bit about it, and then they provide me, say, in the case of Victoria Patterson, the terrific novelist, sometimes called the Edith Warden of Orange County. She is featured in the inaugural issue with this sort of viciously funny, mean, but in some ways sympathetic piece called Family Portraits at Newport Beach Restaurants, which will make you laugh and cry at the same time. Grant Heyer, the former poet laureate of Anaheim, has a piece. Of course, Tina Mai and Natalie Graham will be in there. Mary Camarillo, uh, who was mentioned earlier, actually, um, has a piece. And I just, it's been kind of a joy to be overwhelmed with uh, folks who share the same kind of ambitions for building uh, a community, a literary community, and who've written so thoughtfully and, and joyfully. I mean, before six months ago, I did not know a couple of these people. I kind of knew who they were. So for me, it's just been pure joy to meet this amazing comics artist named Grant Hoskins, to finally meet Jesse Latour, who's run an independent community newspaper called the Fullerton Observer, and who has produced a memoir about the art colony. And, you know, one of my favorite writers is this gal named Lisa Alvarez. Oh, yeah, that's real. Yes. Been married to for almost 40 years. And so she's written, I think, an amazing and fairly, you know, provocative piece of fiction based on uh, the January 6th um, uh, fascist uh, effort at a, at a coup d'etat. And
and yet it's a gentle, smart, brilliant literary story, and she's been generous enough to give it to me of all places, you know, in this first ever issue. There's more, but I'll leave people to explore it. There'll be there'll be reviews, some photography, long form journalism, I hope, poetry, short stories, and so on. Well, I'm I'm also um I'm hoping that there's a writer that I don't think it's Grant Grant Hire and he was he's been on when we talked about the literary field guide and that was such a joy to have him on uh, that um that a piece to be done that follows the arc of the community park built in just recently launched opened in San Juan Capistrano and is sort of all of the dynamics between the city council and the Ahachiman Nate, uh, the Hutton residents in the region and in the city, and the, the very occasion commemorating the opening of that park, the word genocide was not allowed. That the San Juan Cap Parks employee who was doing all the emceeing and all that, he had his speaking p- points curated, uh, edited, and the word genocide could not show up in there. And so I think there's a there's an arc of how that whole project came to be. That belongs in your quarterly, so we'll figure out who gets to do that. But I mean, there's, I mean, maybe Grant will write that because he does sort of, sort of anthropological kinds of forensic stuff, right? Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. You've, you've kind of um, sneaked into issue number two, <laughs> and I'll leave it there. But, but to say that there are uh, Tongva and Achaman people who are cultural workers and who have been who I have engaged for this project and um yeah I'm writing down your uh suggestion and um I, I appreciate it Claudia wow we're, well this is a I, I can't wait to see what it I mean the, my eyeballs that are there's competition for what I'm going to be reading but I I just I think this is my um this is going to be one of my happy places my happy new places to go to and cuz I I just love how how Andrew expresses himself and I'm love getting to know Sarah a little bit through arranging this and doing this right now so there's a theme we haven't quite come up upon yet but I want to make sure we covered it let's make this the last question it's dealing with how you um, reconcile consumption versus literature, how Sarah's Bookstore and Andrew's Quarterly deal with this dichotomy. It's a kind of a spectrum, isn't it? That's the last question, we, and then we got to close. Yeah, I think to touch on that, I a lot of times, you know, I even in the last six months since the reopening in June, I feel like we're living in a really bad sequel of Idiocracy the movie, right, that came out a long time ago. And and it has to do with, like, just some things are so ridiculous what people prioritize these days, or should I say what society as capitalism prioritizes, that there's this, you know, we have to find a way to counter that, right? And especially in the, in the future generation, because if sneakers and pins are the, <laughs> are the priority for inter- engaging people, like, how do we get books and diverse voices and and social issues back into everyday um, conversation. And and a lot of times what people don't understand is that, you know, when we talk about the change in priorities in society, it starts as kids. And if kids are being raised in this way that fashion and consumption is priority, then we're going 
to raise those as adults and civic leaders. And, um, and so for me, it's really important to put books in people's hands to show them that there's a different way to communicate as well as to celebrate who we are as, as people, whether that's through culture or subcultures or language um, or unity, right, in, in the book world. Like to put the phone and the computers and whatever devices down to gather um, to celebrate words and, and the power of the words together and have these conversations through multi-generations, right? So okay, thank you. that's what's important to me, and that's what's made a difference. And that's what's kept me alive, honestly, because <sighs> if I didn't know books when I was a teenager, I'm not sure you'd be speaking to me today. Andrew, um, and we have just a few minutes. Sorry, I don't want to rush yeah. you, but we, I, I have okay. to keep my schedule here. <laughs> Andrew? Yeah, I'll just... Uh... I'll just play academic for a minute or amateur historian and say that this is not a new question. It's a a vigorously considered question. And my inspirations are are two Mexican brothers named Flores Magón, who were anarchists, who um, lived in Southern California when they had to seek exile from being kicked out of Mexico. They published a magazine called uh, Regeneration or Regeneración, and uh, people should look them up. They're my heroes, and if some flattering comparison were made between what you know Sarah and I are up to and the Flores Magón brothers, that'd be a cool thing. Okay, thank you so much, both of you, for, for that. I don't mean to crowd you with the you know, like the heaviest of the considerations. I want to thank both of you for being on Ask a Leader today, Sarah and Andrew. Thanks so much, Claudia. We appreciate it. This was such a joy. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. My guests were Sarah, Rafael Garcia, and Andrew Tonkovich. As I said, they're rolling out, establishing and keeping going very important local literary institutions. So that's my wrap. And For next week's show, Mandisa Thomas, founder and president of Black Nonbelievers, a fitting spiritual take around celebration of the preeminent clergyman and civil rights activist, Reverend Martin Luther King. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and welcome back, Anteater. Sorry you had to add a couple more weeks onto your virtual learning, but we'll get you back in the classroom, safety willing. All the best, everybody. Thank you.